Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, I'm so excited to be back, Sid. We did miss last week. We did. We, like we managed to, we, to pull sure. off the live show, but we did not put together our episode. For you know, a lot of times people are like, our, when we miss an episode, our excuses are uh, child-related. Yes. Usually a kid was sick, a kid told us not to, or they'd burn themselves on the stove. A kid said that we couldn't. That our kids didn't do that. But. No, but I'm saying like fictional, stand-in, <laughs> right. metaphorical kids. Meta- our metaphorical, metaphorical and actual children were fine. They, it was not their fault. No, for once, it was my fault. I guess. Yeah. I mean, what happened? If if, if you want to use fault, uh, I had a an almost exposure, which doesn't sound. I mean, it's I I feel overly dramatic, it, right? It. Even saying it, but. Uh, I one of my coworkers was uh, directly ex- and pretty extensively exposed. So enough so that we we were all all of us who work in close contact were pretty concerned that we by you know extension had now been exposed, mm-hmm. um, and that this person may be pre symptomatic. And that is a that is a window before you develop symptoms where you can be quite contagious. And we are all. That's one thing that's that's hard and probably a lot of essential workers are experiencing. We're all wearing our masks and trying to be diligent about distancing, but not all workspaces are great at accommodating that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in hospitals, when you talk about where resident teams um, hide, so to speak, <laughs> uh, sometimes the rooms that they're given to do their work and they're sleeping and they're eating and they're living because they reside Mm-hmm. Their residents, they're residing there in the hospital. Uh, the spaces are not very large, and yeah. distancing becomes quite difficult to pull off. So masking is always practiced, but even with that, um, we know there's a risk of exposure. So anyway, yeah. uh, there was a very scary, probably total like 48 hours, yeah. where we didn't know uh, who was positive or who had been exposed, where we're like measuring how far apart chairs were in the room and trying to figure out who would cover for who if, you know, people went into quarantine. And in that time period, I tried to, well, sort of hide away from Justin and the girls. Until we knew what was going on. Until we knew what was going on. And it was, uh, um, you'd think I would have gotten a ton of work done, but my mind was actually otherwise occupied. Yeah. 
it's a it, it, it's a good reminder. I don't want this episode to be a um, scary, sad, intense one because we're going to talk about your questions, and these are always fun. But it's a good reminder um, to be very careful and avoid exposures when you can, and to be very diligent because your actions affect everybody around you. And I kept having this thought when I was uh, quarantined away until I found out that I was not exposed and everything was fine. That uh, the last time I hugged or kissed Justin and the girls may have been the last time I got to, which I know, again, sounds overly dramatic, but that's the situation for a lot of people. You get exposed, you go into quarantine, then you get sick and people get hospitalized. And in that time, you don't, you're alone. There are people like Sydney and like other essential workers that don't get a choice in this matter. And please, I would ask you, if you do have a choice, stay home. It's not a personal choice thing. It's giving a crap about other people. We've said it a thousand times, and you know mm-hmm. it at this point. But please, and and convince other people, this winter is going to be rough. And anything we can do to tr- try to stem it in a leadership vacuum that will exist for another, I don't know, six weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, please do your best. Um, and, I know and, it's hard. Yeah. I know it's isolating, but it is it is so essential right now because I am very lucky. And I even, you know, it's fair for you to say, even if I'd gotten the virus, I probably would not have a severe case statistically based on my demographic. But you never know. And someone else won't be so lucky. So do you want to talk about the other thing about we are very excited because day after tomorrow, we will be receiving either a vaccine or a placebo to the coronavirus. Yeah, we're participating in some, uh, well, I guess, phase three trials. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. We the... wanted to put our money where our ma- our bodies, where our mouths were. That's right. <laughs> With That's regards right. to vaccines. I mentioned my, my parents have already started this trial. They went last week and received either. The, I guess you have like a, they told them three out of four get the real thing. Mm. Uh, so either a vaccine or a placebo and then Justin and myself and Riley will go day after tomorrow yep. and or no as you're listening oh no I'll put this out Friday yes yeah. day after tomorrow Yep. roll up our sleeves and stick out our deltoids for science heroic I mean I you said it listener not me <laughs> I, don't know Inspirational? I don't know if it's heroic words. but I feel very strongly it's the right thing yep. for us to do so yep. We will we'll let you know how it goes yeah, next more week. More information on that as it as it becomes available. Um, if it hadn't occurred to you, uh, I guess I kind of assumed it was like jury duty. They would find you if uh, <laughs> if, you wa- <laughs> if they wanted you in the study. But um, uh, it's worth poking around and seeing if there are studies in your area mm-hmm. that need people. If that's something you'd be interested in in helping with. Yep. Um, and there's I, I think there's also a couple of national registries at this point where you can mm-hmm. put in your info and they'll match you with a. a a trial if there's one going yep so so look into it if that's something you want to do and if we or have ask my mom actually because yeah. my mom lo- has my mom has been the best recruiter for this thing yeah. so yeah and if we have three arms next week i just want to say ahead of time that's awesome i'm, I'm not excited about it i'm not worried about third that arm. i'm not worried about any of it but listen let's do some questions because these are fun and funny and i think this will be especially if you're spending a like a Zoom holiday weekend where you're communicating with your loved ones over 
your electronic devices. Yeah. Here's some fun facts we may learn from these questions. All right, Sydney, here's my first question. Whenever I eat a bit too much and my mm -hmm. stomach is really full, timely, mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, Yeah. something weird happens. I start sneezing uncontrollably. I Googled it a while back and found the term snatiation, but it doesn't seem like it's gotten much attention. My wife thinks I'm crazy and that the two are connected, but it can't just be a coincidence, right? P.S. Thanks for all the truth you bring to the world. That's from a listener who may or may not want to be identified. I don't know. Brian. A lot of people. Let's did... call him Brian. Okay. A lot of people didn't specify. Yeah. So. So we. We'll do if we ever don't, if we that's we're trying to err on the side of protecting your. Yeah, but I think if I'm somebody named, I think I could speak for all the Brians when I say that holistically speaking, I don't think the Brian's mind. If everybody thinks sometimes when they get too full, they sneeze a lot. I don't feel like we are uh, revealing too much of their medical history there. I, I always think if it was just my first name, I wouldn't mind. But then I also do a podcast. So obviously I don't mind. So that's fair. that's not fair to generalize to everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so this this is a really interesting question. I had to look. I had never heard of snatiation. <laughs> it sounds like a fake term that like um, like a. Uh, when a, a junk food company would make up like you're snackified when you're both satisfied on a snack well it's snackified. i think it's sort of i think it's supposed to be a sort of playful term um because there are there is another sort of inherited sneezing disorder that is like abbreviated achu uh, scientists have very specific wild senses of humor so i do think it's supposed to be kind of fun and funny um it is based on kind of. a case report um that that was from back in like the late 70s where there was this 32 year old guy who reportedly after he would have a a big meal a meal big enough that he felt full you had mm -hmm. to feel full it wasn't just any time you ate but like if you if you felt full that he would start sneezing three or four uncontrollable sneezes were, were reported and then um for whatever reason it's always interesting like how did like if a patient told me that mm -hmm. i'm just going to be completely honest with you i would say well that's weird weird i Bodies don't are think, weird right well because there's no i mean i cannot think of a mechanism by which this is dangerous for you or the any testing i would do to follow up on it so i yeah. would say don't worry you're fine reassurance would be but someone dug into this a little further and found that this this also happened to this patient's three brothers one of his two sisters his father and uncle and his son and his grandfather hmm. so it's like a genetic it is a marker? genetic sneezing phenomenon <laughs> uh we don't know a ton about it because it's it's pretty rare we think yeah, yeah. or if it isn't here's the other thing though it might not be that rare but probably a lot of people don't really notice or talk about it yeah, right like yeah. you it, it might be something that it's happened to you you might be listening to this right now and saying i have that i me that's me <laughs> but it's never occurred to you to Is ask there a anybody pill to fix it? it please it's there's, it suddenly <laughs> bothers me a great deal <laughs> there's no thought that it there's anything to this other than it's uh, bodies are weird and they do weird things i mean that's so don't worry about it but it is genetic so you may ask people in your family and see if anybody else has this uh has this phenomenon because it because <laughs> it tends to be just this weird genetic thing so bizarre so i know All fascinating right. i learned i had never heard of this reflex but it is a it is a thing hi dr sydney and this is this is a long one if you want to cut it cut it just on the fly i'll just mm -hmm. read every third word and we'll see how it goes okay uh lately i've been 
uh, seeing a lot of TV shows and celebrities here in the UK talking about mental health benefits, uh, being outside, taking walks in the country, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm curious what um, peer-reviewed scientific consensus is on this trend because I was kid, I was always just told to walk it off when I was feeling anxious or upset about something, and it didn't stop me from struggling with anxiety, etc. Um, uh, I'm worried that the isn't it amazing how perfect a natural treatment nature is way this is, issue is portrayed in a lot of media could lead some people who are receiving allopathic treatments for mental health issues thinking that going for a 30-minute walk every day is a substitute for the medication they're taking to regulate aspects of brain chemistry, which their bodies are unable to. I think, I think this is a good question um, yes. from, I think we're supposed to, I think we can read this name because it's a, it's a funny one. Socially distanced strolling in Scotland. Yeah. I think Lovely. those are intentionally meant to be read. Uh, I think it's a good, I, I liked this question because um, I have seen this meme on Facebook. Have you ever seen that where it's like, it has a bunch of pills and it says this is not the cure for depression. And then it has a picture of like a forest and it says this is. Ugh. I know. Ugh. That's the right reaction. I, I don't. I, I think that it, you are right to be concerned when people say like that kind of thing. When you when you have that kind of attitude about mm -hmm. we'll just spend more time in nature and you'll feel better mm -hmm. um, as a response to I have a diagnosed mental illness. Yes. Uh, that's a terrible response. No. I, now, I mean, are there other benefits to being outside? Well, I mean, you could talk about things like vitamin D and, and stuff that you get from the sun, although make sure you're wearing sunscreen. You know, I mean, like you could you could talk about maybe some specific scientific things like that. Well, exercise. Mm -hmm. Exercise. And I think a lot of people just would say anecdotally without any sort of scientific backing, I feel good when I spend some time out in the fresh air. I do. Sure. And if that makes you feel good, especially right now when we are having to isolate from people so much, yep. if you have an outdoor space to be in just to give your brain something different to process, some other stimuli, <laughs> I think that that is good right now for our mental health in the sense that this can be very uh, monotonous, Yes, this kind of living. Yeah. So having an, a different place to be for a little bit is good. Mm-hmm. But of course it is not, as you have said, and as you have pointed out, it is not in any way replacement for any sort of actual medical treatment for mental illness. Um, I think there are lots of things you can do that will help you if you do have a diagnosed mental illness that aren't treating it necessarily. But I mean, Justin, you would probably attest to that. Things that Absolutely. you do for your anxiety that aren't treatments. They're not the medications you're taking. They're not attending a therapy session. So they're not evidence-based, but they are things that you have found. And that varies person to person, I'm sure. Like getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, um, meditation, stuff like that. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's a little bit more clinical. I guess it's not clinical, but it's designed to specifically treat that. But like supplemental stuff, you know, I'm not going to get out there. I'm not desperate. I'm not going to go outside. Um, but still, <laughs> you know, the, it's nice to know the options there in case things get really dire. And this is true for, by the way, I, we're talking about mental illness because that's the question. This is true for basically any illness yeah there are other things other than that the things that uh medicine tells us to do evidence-based medicine tells us to do a lot of people who have a chronic illness will find other things that help them manage that personally that help make them have a higher quality of life for a variety of reasons so uh i thought it, that was important to address um okay so i'm going to ask this next one but i'm assuming i'm going to 
You're going to have... I, this it on the fly a little bit. Yeah, there's a bad word in it. Hello, but Sydney and Justin. Thank you for your amazing selves during this crazy time. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. My question is uh, about butt lightning. What, co what causes it? Is it really more common in women? Is there a way to make it stop if it gets going? And that's from Emma. And what's butt lightning? Okay, so I had to look this up because I've never heard this term before. Um, yeah, I, and I'm it, sure you haven't because you would have related that to me immediately because marriage is built on trust. It was sent to me, uh, it, I should say, as Justin had to edit it because we don't say bad words on the show. Um, yeah. it, it was not butt lightning. So I had to Google this. <laughs> and Thereby ruining is, her, her uh, here uh, is what bad I think, results for the rest of her life. <laughs> here is what I think people are talking about with this term from from doing some research to, uh, basically like people asking this question what is this why do i have it and using mm -hmm. this term i think what i've finally uh figured out i think is what you're talking about is what we call proctalgia fugax okay i don't know if that's a better name it's kind of a mouthful but it's basically like a quick sharp pain like in your rectal area okay but 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 pain and it, it the reason i think the lightning is there is because it just hits you out of nowhere it's really intense usually pretty short-lived just mm. you know 10 15 seconds or something mm -hmm. and then goes away could be even a little longer up to 30 seconds there are if it's if it's something that lasts longer than that like 20 minutes or more then that's actually a slightly different condition and i assume that's not what people are talking about but i don't know you might any kind of butt pain people might be calling it this it <laughs> It is actually kind of common. Oh, good. Uh, this is another one of those things that not not everyone talks about, so it's really hard to pin down the exact number of people who have it. Anywhere from 8 to 18% of people will experience this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and it could be something that you experience every couple days to once every, or twice a year. Every couple seconds. <laughs> Probably, if you're experiencing it every couple seconds, you need to go see a doctor right away. Um, it is more common in women, mm. for whatever reason. And it usually affects people between 30 and 60. Okay. Seconds. Of, no, of age. Well, like <laughs> no, between 30 <clears throat> and 60 years of age. Uh, why? We're not. In, okay. What we think is happening is your anal sphincter is like contracting. It's like spasming. Okay. It's like a quick, sudden contraction of your anal sphincter. Yeah. It can be triggered by lots of different things. Some people will say that um, like it has to do with having a bowel movement or needing to have a bowel movement passing gas sex has been a known trigger for some patients um they've connected it to things like uh someone who's had a surgery for hemorrhoid removal or, or something like that or, or some sort of surgery on their hemorrhoids uh even things like a hysterectomy mm. um have all been sort of connected to it but for some reason in that moment something is triggering the nerve to your to your anal sphincter to make it contract Quickly, suddenly, painfully, mm -hmm. and then it goes away. As far as we know, unless you have other any of these other things that we've talked about, some other condition or other symptoms alongside it, it usually is a benign, like if it is just appearing solo on its own and then going away and not something that bothers you very much, condition. If it's happening a lot or if you have other symptoms like diarrhea, constipation, bleeding, any other sort of pain, please go get checked out. But that I think is what we're talking about. And if for nothing else, I just really wanted to share the term proctalgia fugax with everyone. Um, here's a, here's one. Can I get sick from my own sneezes? I mean, if I live alone and I never have visitors like many these days, 
Does it matter if I cover my mouth slash nose when I sneeze at home? Thanks, Matt. Matt, I assume, just wants to let one. (laughs) I respect that, Matt. Like, listen, I'm a busy person and I'm alone. I'm just going to blow this one out. (laughs) Just get it out there. Uh, Blast him. Boxer all over (laughs) Dr. House. He's watching Dr. House this time. So, okay. If you if you really live alone and never have visitors, I don't really see a reason that covering your sneeze in that moment is going to make any. I mean, you're not going to make yourself sick. Let it's me nice, start with that. It's nice for your cats. You're not making yourself sick. Yeah, I guess pets would be one thing. And I mean, if you're truly never having visitors, there's no risk. <laughs> if like you sneeze and then immediately after someone walks into your home, like there are there are like a cl- there is a cloud of particles hanging in the air but uh, you have said you have no visitors yes, so no, we can assume that that's not an issue no no this is not but you can't get yourself sick okay but you can't get yourself sick but like th- it's it's a, it's a profoundly nihilistic take because this will end this pandemic will end and you're going to have visitors again and you can't have when your visitors come there is an assumption that for the past 12 to 18 months you've not been blowing it out old school with every sneeze just like uh, pressure washing all of your flat surfaces. Here is what The I, assumption is that you've been covering your mouth even when people haven't been there. Well, I, but I mean, if we're talking, now you're getting into like how long can the viral particles live on no, a surface? No, I'm not. I'm how, talking I mean, about I'm going to a human being's house and I'm trusting <laughs> they haven't been blowing their sneezes out old school for the last calendar year. I have to sit I, on your divan. I have to like walk on your floor and you've just been blazing it for a year i would say there is an element of habit forming that is important that if you get out of the habit of covering your sneezes that may be something that you lose a, sh- a well, shard of in your the humanity future, well no in the future when you are around people you may forget because you got out of the habit of doing it i mean like right like i mean i don't know you That's, are you are looking at this question so wrong we're trying to live in a society here society I, I doesn't just, disappear when you close is, your I, door i mean does it matter the question is does it matter and i'm here to say it matters a great deal it matters a great deal (laughs) okay i would say why i mean you can't get sick but why not stay in the habit that would be my thought okay well and i think i feel like i made myself perfectly but it's what i would tell it's what i would tell the kids so i don't maybe that's a maybe that's more of like a mom answer than a doctor answer like we'll just get in good practice yeah i'm just Uh, saying you live in a society and people are going to come over to your house again and they don't want to sit on the sneeze chair Justin, I got more questions to answer, but before we do that, what? we got we got to go to the billing department. Oh, let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan um but they got like fancy stuff listen to this where are you gonna get this truffle butter filet mignon i mean seriously from 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 a, a box 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, here is a question from Chris uh, that I, I profess ignorance, but I feel like I'm about to be surprised. My medical question is about breasts and sagging. Does wearing a bra prevent sagging or does wearing a bra weaken the breast supporting tissue and cause them to sag instead? I've seen both sides and I'm curious, is there any actual evidence to either? Uh, there is no effect on breast sagging from bras, whether wearing them or not wearing them. I think that's really important to know. I, I, I was interested to look out there and see what it, what are people saying about this. And that's really true. There seem to be like a lot of, even like celebrities who will tell you, you need to wear a bra at all times mm. to prevent your breast from sagging. Um, versus I saw exactly like you described, I saw the opposite people saying like, no, cause then you, I guess you need to let your, breasts work out and if you support them too much they'll get weak from all that support so you mm-hmm. got to let them be more independent you don't want to be helicopter parenting your breasts <laughs> uh no wear a bra if it makes you feel more comfortable um because sometimes depending on your breast size it can be uncomfortable it's not to wear a bra if it makes you feel more comfortable if you like the look or shape or whatever better uh but there is not there's not a health or there's not a breast um, sagging benefit in either direction. So, but I thought that was a really good question because I, I actually hadn't heard that. Um, the especially the opposite. I've had a lot of patients ask me like, "Don't you have to wear a bra to keep them from sagging?" No. Um, but that's a that's a great question. Do you know the ligaments that support your breast tissue are called Cooper's ligaments, 
And Isn't um, that ironic? Yeah, because Cooper loves to breastfeed. Uh, but um, I remember in the book, The House of God, do you know why I always remember that? Why? Because they call them Cooper's droopers because of how your breasts sag over time. That's unfortunate. I know. It's very unfortunate. But now that... you have an easier way of remembering it, so you don't have to remember that way anymore. Oh, that's a good point. That's hey, right. for all of you out there in the medical world who are also taught this, because I know I'm not alone. I've heard many colleagues say it. Now you can just remember, now you can just remember that my daughter Cooper loves to breastfeed. Uh, listen, I'm latched onto breasts and I'm not <laughs> letting go. Uh, oh, yeah, we got question. another boob question. Is it true that getting your nipples pierced will forever prevent you from breastfeeding? I had a high school health teacher beg my whole class not to ever do that because we wouldn't be able to breastfeed. Awkward considering I already had it done. <laughs> Thanks. Love the pod, Vanessa. Uh no, there is no reason that you can't breastfeed if you've had your nipples pierced. Is it true um, that it will give you a triple nozzle that blasts out <laughs> maximum satisfaction? It is possible that... The three-way uh, spray, as kids <laughs> call it. It's not a single... You've seen me express breast milk. You know it's not one whole... In hindsight, yes, I do. I do realize yeah. this. You know it comes out of multiple, multiple openings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, got it. Less um, makes less sense now. You're right. The kids get a big kick out of that. Uh, <laughs> just mine, not like all kids. Right, or all, <laughs> and our kids. It don't made get it. A big it made it sound like a, a trick that I do on TV. Right. Um, no, there's. No, it's Jimmy fine. Fallon has not it, fallen that far yet, but someday <laughs> he'll be desperate enough in this co these COVID times to come calling. Uh, your nipples. So you can like you could see some like breast milk leak from the holes where your nipples have been pierced like when you're if you are leaking which happens if you get really full when you're breastfeeding um but no there's no it you can still breastfeed um i would like for practicality's sake removing the piercing while you're breastfeeding makes sense if for no other i mean one like that could be uncomfortable i would assume um and two because uh you don't want your baby to choke on a piercing yeah fair um so like Yes, but no, there is no reason that a nipple that has been pierced cannot breastfeed. That is okay. I think the recommendations are not to do it while you're breastfeeding because not then, to get like, a you're piercing while you're breastfeeding, that would be very dangerous. Well, you're the like healing faces, and the kid's face is right there, <laughs> and the, you don't want a bunch of needles around the kid's face while you're trying to nurse. Any, well, <laughs> anybody who's ever had, uh, who has ever breastfed and had your kid bite you. And then you have like a wound there that's trying to heal while you're still breastfeeding. Just like I, I would not recommend getting them pierced while you're in the at while you were actively breastfeeding some, you know, your, your kid. But it is not a reason you can't breastfeed at all. Uh, you probably guessed this one often, but where did my contacts go when I, quote, lost them in my eye after sleeping with them in? I've been wondering for years, and I didn't ask my eye doctor because I don't want her to know I wasn't practicing good contact hygiene in high school. Thanks, Sarah Jane. I'm. I wanted to answer this question because I'm really worried. There, your contacts shouldn't be able to go anywhere in your eyes, <laughs> y'all. Listen. <laughs> My assumption is they came out somehow. Let's all hope they came out somehow. Well, they must have. They had to. They must have come out. Um, there is nowhere for them to go. I mean, there's not a receptacle. They can up like. There. I mean, they can certainly move around on the eyeball, and right. that I have had that happen. Like they get stuck, but like you know. I mean, you should be able to find it. Yes. Um, so my, I know that uh, I have had nights where I have fallen asleep 
where I've been up really late and fallen asleep with them in and then woken up in the middle of the night, realized they were in and taking them out and throwing them across the room because I didn't have time for that anymore. <laughs> uh, perhaps it was a situation like that and you just didn't remember. You were very sleepy. But let's go with that. They cannot get lost. Uh, hi, Justin and Dr. Sid. I've been highly considering getting an IUD. And that's inner uterine device. Uh, hey. And while I was reading up on getting an IUD, that's intrauterine device, it uh, said that you need to check once a month or so and make sure the string is in the right place. It makes sense that there's a string so the doctor can pull it out whenever necessary, but like, how's it feel when having intercourse and stuff? I feel like every time I'd be worried the string is getting all pushed around and I wouldn't want to do it in the first place. So the IUD doesn't come out of place. Does it come out of place easily? And it Heck, if if there's a, a any genitalia with piercings on that, now you've entered into kind of like a a carnival game scenario, trying oh. to hook the loop around the yeah. You state. worried it would get caught. Yeah. Okay, the string is not that long. It's not that long, <laughs> everybody. Not, I know that. You know that. Yeah, it is. It is not uh, visible from the outside of the body. Got it. Yeah, you can you can feel it when you do an exam. You can feel it extending from the cervix. It does come out like the string extends out of the cervix. Of course, it would have to in order yeah. for you to be able to remove it. But it does not come out of the body. Right. But okay. is it in the area when? Yeah, but is it so it does not interfere with intercourse. It's not something that you or is that how the birth control works? Would like, feel. ouch. Okay, never <laughs> no. mind. <laughs> no, that, this is a very common question. This is if, when people are considering IUDs. This is an incredibly common concern. It is nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed of. A lot of people ask, "What? What? Won't it mess up sex?" No, it doesn't in any way interfere with sex. It is very hard to. Uh, I don't want to say it's very hard to remove because your doctor can do it on exam, of course, but it is not something that would easily come out. Like it, you couldn't just dislodge it with, I don't want to elaborate, with doing it. with Doing it is yeah. the technical term. Well, I, I'm trying to be scientific. Don't I, be you, it's I'll, not, even even with your best, uh, your best, baddest, most bodacious moves, you're not going to. <laughs> 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 you're not. <laughs> you're not gonna dislodge it uh you really have to try you really would have to like intentionally say i am going to try to i'm gonna i'm gonna try to pull this string and remove this i please don't do that go have a medical professional remove it if you want it out um but it is not something that you would casually accidentally dislodge uh, and it is um, uh, recommended, actually, for patients who get these, that they can even check the strings. Um, I think you said that, actually. Yes, you can check the strings to make sure that it's still there. Um, like about once a month, you just, you know, examine, reach up, you can feel the strings, and you know that it's still in place. And if you have any concerns that you don't feel them or whatever, you can go check with your doctor. But uh, no, it is I, fine. You can. I can't believe you put this next question in here, Sydney. I'm going to read it. You open the door and I'm going to push you through it. That was a good question. I've been wondering for a while and just haven't looked it up, but truly, truly, what is poop? Thanks, Vexed in Virginia. Do you know what poop has in it? Yeah. I know. Um, I, I have the, I wrote down all the percentages so that I would get I'm those right. Because that's not something I have in I'm them. assuming there's water because everything's got water in it. Yeah, everything's got water. Um, and I'm Majority I'm water. Undigestible food matter. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. stuff that didn't get digested in there. Mm -hmm. And then I would guess like leftover, just like stuff that you've processed and extracted all the nutrients from. And then 
that's the stuff that's left over that you don't need. That's and basically probably bacteria. Probably bacteria. Yep, that I was gonna say. Basically, you, you've got it without the bacteria. That's that's uh. So poop is just the stuff that your body didn't need, couldn't break down, mixed with some water and some uh germs some bacteria i say germs not necessarily bad ones just bacteria yeah it is 75 percent water of the rest of the solid bit the majority of that are just organic solid things um making a mostly made of like bacteria some protein some carbohydrates some fat there you go all right now you know now you know um this section is called poking your own body Hi, Dr. Sidney and Mr. Justin. That's fine. My question is unnecessary formality, but I do appreciate it. Uh, my question is this. Why is it that when you stick your finger in your belly button far enough and twiddle it around for a bit, can you feel it in your crotch? <laughs> I love these questions, by the way. I, I group two together because what I have to imagine is people are getting really bored right now. And so they're just sitting there poking themselves like, mm, that's weird. I'm going to try that again. What if I poke here? That's uh, weird. Are there any other weird connections I don't know about? Do you want me to go ahead and read the other question too? Uh, no, let me take. A, let me take. They're separate issues because this one I have a really good, concrete uh, answer for, and the other one, not exactly. Medical mystery. <laughs> so this one has to do with your urachus. What's that? So when uh, when a fetus is developing in mm -hmm. utero. There is a combination, or the combination, a connection between your bladder and your umbilicus, your belly button. Okay. Um, it runs along with the umbilical cord. And it is a canal called the allantois. And this canal allows urine to drain. Now, as the fetus develops, the tunnel closes and it just becomes this sort of fibrous remnant that exists that connects your bladder to your belly button. Hmm. It's called your urachus. There are conditions where it can... Uh, be somewhat open still even after birth and mm. you would know because pee would come out of your belly button whoa okay. that's obviously not the default the default is that it's just a little fibrous remnant that still exists there but if you poke really deep in your belly button and i don't mean just like touch it i mean like really poke in there because it is connected to the top of your urinary bladder by the urachal remnant by the mm. urachus you can uh i can't do it Sometimes you can feel it in your crotch. I can't do it. It hurt too much. But this is a thing. Right this is a real thing. That is a real. Unlike this, uh, this one, I, I, I'm, I have like a guess. Why this one says, and we did ask for your weird questions. So mm -hmm. here's, it says, weird question. Why does pressing on the area right above my butt crack make me want to pee? And so this person mentioned that they saw that other people have looked this up too. I went to look and there are forums where people have said that this happens to them. I don't have any concrete answer for this particular one. The only thing I could think um, is that it are dermatomes. So certain nerves that come out of our spinal cord and like they wrap around our body in terms of how, of what area they're responsible for. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're interested in this, you can just, Google the word dermatomes and look at images and you'll see what I'm talking about because you'll see all these like multicolored pictures of the human body and they're these wrap like the nerves wrap around starting at your back around your spinal cord and then wrapping around each side um, symmetrically and the area you're talking about I think if, if we're talking if if I'm visualizing this correctly is innervated at the same dermatome as 
like the genital area. Mm. So maybe it's just this referred kind of because it's innervated by the same nerves. Maybe you're having some sort of referred sensation or something. That would be my best guess. Uh, but I, I'm not entirely certain about that one, about that poking. Uh, brain freezes. What's up with that? Why do we get them? Why can't I drink or eat my super cold things as fast as possible without getting pain from it? That's Anthony. Okay. Brain freeze uh, is called sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. That is the... I'm going to stick with brain freeze. Go on. Right. That is the that is the actual... It, so it's a, it's a quick headache in case you've never experienced... I don't know who hasn't, but if you've never experienced it... Y'all brain freeze. If you haven't experienced brain freeze, you're not living. Um. You, uh, but it's it's a really fast headache that happens usually when you drink something or eat something really cold, right? Okay. Uh, and we always say it's because you ate or drank it too fast. Okay. That is because of rapidly ta- changing temperatures in the back of your throat, where your internal carotid artery and the anterior cerebral artery kind of meet. Basically, these are good at sensing temperatures, and uh, when there is a rapid change in temperature, they will react to that. And when they do, uh, it's not your brain hurting. Um, it's the it's the dilation contraction of these arteries that are causing the pain. And they're basically but it's like just, trying to tell you like, hey, this is too cold and you need to calm down mm-hmm. a little bit. Your brain doesn't like things to change quickly. It doesn't deal with change. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so anyway, so these arteries contract and dilate and then you get pain and then it goes away when the temperature normalizes. But if you want That's to speed that, that process along, best thing that I've found is to rub the roof of your mouth with your tongue. That can help to warm that up sometimes. If, if you can warm up your mouth faster, yes. Some way to like return it to the normal temperature. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Hi, I'm a fairly new listener, but going back through the backlog has helped me to get my mind off stuff. So thank you. My question is, I have gone to my GP, just to be clear. I got my flu shot five weeks ago, and the guy put it in the wrong spot. Instead of being in my deltoid muscle, it was up high on my shoulder. My doctor believes it was injected in my shoulder joint. Is was sore for much longer than usual, and after four weeks, it got worse to where I couldn't lift my arm and then started to get better again. It's still very tender, but doctor says it'll heal. My question is, will the shot still be as effective if it was not injected as intended into my muscle? Thank you, and lots of love to your family. Hey, this was just for you. Thank you, Sid. It was for you too, listener. But Justin, I thought you would. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I've experienced this exact phenomenon right now. Right now, as you're listening to this, I'm heroically podcasting through the pain, as we say in the podcasting business. That this is not. Uh... And, and Sydney hates it, <laughs> and I hate it because I have to go to Sydney and say her pet peeve, which is my arm hurts when I do this, and then Sydney has to bite her tongue to keep from saying, "Well, then don't do that." <laughs> Uh, so this just happened to Justin. Yeah. Let me like when we got our flu shot. Please don't let this discourage you. Flu from shots getting not only cocked up to me apparently. No, don't let this. Don't let this discourage you. Child, no dice. This is not. I Sorry, mean, no, obviously, it's kidding. common enough that now I know of two cases. Yeah. <laughs> our listener and you, but it is not incredibly common. But yes, if it is given higher on the shoulder, you can cause like some bursitis. Of the joint. Inflammation of the bursa, which is like a sack of fluid around the joint, you can inflame that. And um, it does not decrease the effectiveness of the vaccine. The vaccine still worked. It's fine. It That part of it is, is not affected by it. Um, but it can, in some people, result in this pain, exactly like you're talking about. Um, it would make it hard to raise, just because of 
the muscle that's involved and what part of your shoulder is involved. That's exactly how it would present. Um, and yes, it should go away with time. Sometimes patients will require some anti-inflammatory medications like you'd get over the counter. Yeah, listener, that's what I've been doing is taking some ibuprofen. If, if that's something that's you want to do. Yeah, and I mean, please always talk to your doctor about any of this. Don't don't take it from a podcast. Um, some patients get relief from that. Some patients will need things like steroid injections. But for the most part, it is a short-lived condition self-limiting um and your vaccine is still fine so do not fear about that part and it probably will never happen to you again so don't fear about that part dear dr sydney is it true that babies have more bones than the adult standard of 206 i've heard this all my life been taught it in health class and today my family is playing a trivia game where babies having more bones than adults was the answer i was surprised my retired orthopedic surgeon grandfather got the question wrong and he scoffed the question saying that babies don't have more bones they just have more space slash cartilage between bones that eventually grow together what is the truth thanks for your ongoing contribution to my sanity over this year particularly once the pandemic hit best maddie uh so okay i can see i can see what your grandfather was We're saying. in a semantics issue, right? Yeah, because like, yes, technically babies do have more bones. Technically, um, they have like three hundred five bones. Uh, the reason for that is that there are areas of the bones that are cartilage, just like your grandfather said, that are to allow for like growing and changing and moving. It also makes babies' bones um, more flexible, like harder to break, faster to heal. These are good things. Um, but because of that, like a bone that will just be one solid piece of bone when you're an adult may be divided into two or three sections by cartilage right. when you're a baby. And so in that point, is that one bone or is it three bones? I don't know. Well, I guess what a lot of people have settled on is it's three. So you have 305 bones. Got it. But I mean, yes, to your grandfather's point, they're going to grow together into the 206 adult bones that we kind of accept like exists in the human body named uh yes there are different names for the baby bones um sometimes totally different names and then they fuse together into the one adult bone this process by the way is called ossification in mm -hmm. case you're interested um they are like for anatomical purposes the same like they are one bone i mean they're not more bones but they are more bones it's a it's a difficult question i mean we're like in a ship of Theseus. It's kind of a semantics issue. Yeah. But but yeah, the way we look at it, yes, babies have, like I said, like 305 bones. They have different names. They fuse into the 206 adult bones that you are probably more familiar with. Um, and, and folks, there you have it. There's all the medical knowledge that you can uh, handle this week. Um, you're now basically doctors. No, well, uh, congratulations to you. Here is your uh, special hood and funky hat. Uh, do good out there, as it says in the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, thanks for listening to our show. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Uh, thanks to everybody who came to the uh, live streaming show that we uh, that we did. It was a lot of fun. That was a ton of fun. Thank you so fun. much. Um, and, uh, oh, I have big news. What is your big news? The Sawbones book yes. is returning as a paperback. That's right, book. it is. It is returning as a paperback book with new content. New chapters. It's expanded with new stuff about coronavirus. Well, it's related to yes, coronavirus. Yes, COVID adjacent. New illustrations by Taylor Smurl. 
Uh, of course, all of their other illustrations are still in there. It is new. It is edited and updated, and um, it's it's great. It's and it's a a, a a lovely a lovely book that you can pre-order right now. If you go to bit.ly forward slash Sawbones book, uh, the launch of the first Sawbones book was, uh, or or the the hardback edition was was rocky, I would say, and I love that we got an, got to get another swing at it. So it would just mean the world if you like our show, you know somebody who enjoys medical history or any you know interesting stories, whatever, great illustrations, you name it. Uh, the Sawbones books coming out in paperback. Uh, I believe early next year. I'm not sure they've set a date for it, but it'll be uh, uh, pretty early next year. And um, the the uh, well, this is saying December 29th, 2020. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but who knows? It'll it's be paperback. So paperback, it's soft and cartilaginous and flexible, like no, the 305 December, bones of a baby. Saying December 29th, beautiful. Pre-order this. Pre-order this bad boy. I'm gonna get a few now because it's great. <laughs> Bit.ly for it's like I'm very proud of it. But we're so proud of it. All joking aside, we're so proud that other people get a chance to read it. And uh, thank you for your support in advance. You're the best. Um, that is gonna do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.